Nehemiah chapter 7 and uh, verse number 1. If I could just give you a little bit of a, uh, an introduction here. The wall, Nehemiah has just finished the wall in 52 days. It was a miracle. 52 days before this, it was just rubbish. It was a, a burned down wall, but Ezra had come in and built the temple. Everything was standing back up. People were moving back into their homes, but there was no wall. And so Nehemiah comes in, and in 52 days, they resurrect out of the ashes, out of the rubbish, the scripture said, and they build the wall in 52 days around an entire city. And so that's where we begin. It came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors. Everybody say the doors. Oh, that's so important. The wall was finished, so I put the doors in. The porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. That I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem. A faithful man who feared God above many. I took Hanani and Hananiah, a faithful man, and I put them over Jerusalem. They were faithful, feared God. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. Everybody say that with me. Until the sun be hot. He said, do not let the gates of this city, the doors that we just put in, do not let those doors come back open until the sun is hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors, bar them, and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put something and somebody on the door. And do not let the door come open until the sun be hot. I want to preach to you this morning and I hope I can help somebody before you leave here. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, wait for the sun. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Wait for the sun. Now... This is, a, uh, this is a, great, a great book. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books, honestly, in the, in the Scripture. There are so many principles in the book of Nehemiah about how you and I can live for God. Nehemiah is technically, historically speaking, it is not its own independent book. It is the ending of the work of Ezra. Ezra was there as a voice to begin to bring order into chaos as the Lord shined on his people once again, allowed them to come out of captivity back to their homeland. But when they got back to their homeland, as does anything that sits empty, something else, someone else, another people 
had began to inhabit the land that belonged to the children of Israel. They were a Samaritan people that inhabited the land. And Ezra began to call some things in order. And he said to them, we're going to build a temple and we're going to make it happen. We're going to do all this the right way. But we're not going to cohabitate with the people that don't belong here. Now, why is it that it was so important to Ezra to put away the strange people that had moved into the land? It doesn't take long before you get into the book of Ezra that you start realizing that anything you're willing to put up with, it doesn't take long until you're willing to marry yourself to that. And the scripture is very much not just implicit but explicit through the book of Ezra that the priesthood, what they were not willing to expel, they were willing to join themselves to and begin to have children and offspring with them. I'm telling you that there is a reason why the church of the living God must always stand from a place of functionality that there are some things that we're just not willing to coexist with in the body. Some people say if you live it, you don't have to preach it. If you just live it before the people, then you don't have to preach it. That's hogwash. It's baloney. And furthermore, you can't just preach it and not live it. you got to figure out a way to find what you believe, to preach it, to love it, to live it, to bind yourself to it. Amen. There's a reason why some look at us and say they're just old-fashioned. You're right. Because there's some things that old-fashioned people refuse to let in that I refuse to let in because we're not just letting it in to have fellowship with it. If you let it in, before long, you're going to marry yourself to it. Israel told those priests, he said, put away your strange wives. By the time Nehemiah comes into the picture, those same men are still married to the same woman. And over time, what's happened is that now the priesthood has children with women that are not Hebrew women. And while the priesthood are at the new temple that's been finished up, the scripture tells us that the children of these priests could not even speak the language of their fathers because now what they chose to coexist with and they married themselves to are now teaching the next generation that you don't have to pledge your allegiance to the language of your fathers. You can just do whatever your father coexisted with. Why in the world did he say expel them? Why did he say put them away? Because he was a man of God and he knew the nature of people. This is what temptation is to us. Temptation is the ability to move out from us. What we know we will marry ourselves to if we let it macerate in our minds. If you allow that temptation a dwelling place in your spirit. It doesn't take long until what you were tempted to do and tempted to become now becomes a part of who you are. I know people in my life right now, if I could use this language today, 
that have married themselves to things that at one time they said they despised. But because they thought they would build a bigger church, because they thought it would be more grand and more powerful, they allowed some things to begin to move into the church and they just stayed around with it. Just, just, you know, we just want to be more open to things. The problem is, is that the more open you are, the more accessible you become. And the more accessible you become, believe it or not, the less of a choice that you have of what you pick to be in your life. Because after a while, if you're not careful, you're going to be outnumbered again. Ezra said, get them out of here or you're going to be outnumbered again and everything that we've built is going to be torn down again. Who do you think it was that allowed the walls to be burned down and the homes to be burned down and the temple to be burned down? It's the people that are here right now. That's who let it happen and they creep in at times when you wouldn't think that they would come in but they've moved in here and if you let them outnumber you, it won't be long till you don't have a voice anymore and we don't have a temple anymore and your house is burned down this is absolutely a picture of our lives and how it works that what you refuse to shut out it won't be long till forgive me if this sounds horrible but it won't be long till you're sleeping with it and then what are you going to do when you've got children even in the spirit, things that you have reproduced in the spirit that pledge their allegiance to nothing. Then you raise a generation in the spirit that because they stand for nothing, they'll fall for anything. There's a reason why Pentecost believes that our roots run deeper than Azusa. There's a reason why we believe our roots run deeper than Topeka, Kansas. It's because by the time we got to Topeka and we got to Azusa in the early 1900s, 1912, 1913, 1914, so much had changed that the doctrine became unrecognizable. And I thank God for the outpouring of the Spirit, but I want to tell you that at Azusa, thank the Lord, there was a prayer meeting, and thank the Lord, there were people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but they refused to take on the identity of the name of Jesus, and they refused to be baptized in Jesus' name. And what that produced was a movement of people that wanted the Spirit, but not the name. And after a while, it raises a generation of people that don't pledge their allegiance to anything. And at that point, it was that the Holy Spirit was necessary to be born again. But now it's not necessary to be born again. It's just a gift that God gives to some people. That's a generation of people that did not want to commit themselves to any idea and build walls around it. What I'm saying to you is at some point, you've got to seal the deal in your mind and come to grips of what you believe. And you either believe that except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom, or you believe the word is a lie. I'm going to tell you why some of our families and friends that are in false doctrine are not getting revelation. It's because we're still trying to get convinced. 
I've sat in Bible studies teaching people before. You can be seated. I've sat in Bible studies teaching people before. And when the light would come on and they'd get the revelation sitting at their table. And they'd say, oh, I see it. I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. I've got to be born again of water and spirit. It's less than just a few minutes till the enemy starts working on their mind. Because now they've seen the revelation, but their grandmother didn't. If you've ever taught a Bible study, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They get the revelation, but their mom didn't have it. So they get in a wrestling match with the devil, and they get in a wrestling match with their flesh, and they say, well, if I do that, then it means my dad was wrong. So you've got to stand somewhere, or you'll sit down anywhere. And the only answer I've got for that is, is you're going to have to let your mother, your dad, your grandfather, whoever it is, you're going to have to let them work this out with God. If they've already died and gone to heaven, you've got to trust that God is wise. You've got to trust that God is sovereign. And you've got to let God work out his deal. But right now, you're still breathing. And there's breath in your body. And you're living. And I want to tell you, because God sent me to your table today, you must be born again. It's not an option that you get the Holy Ghost because you're special. No, no, no. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not going to give me the Holy Ghost and keep it from you. He loves, I know you may not want to believe this now, but he loves you as much as he loves any preacher in the world. It is not the chosen few that get to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Lord loves you. I'm telling you today that Calvary was not for perfect people. I know people don't like this, especially when they get all polished up and pretty Pentecostal. But I'm telling you that the blood of Jesus was not for the polished people. The blood of Jesus was for some jacked up people. The blood of Jesus was for people that made big mistakes. The blood of Jesus is for people that dropped the ball and don't know how to live right. Thank God that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I thank God that he didn't wait for me to get my act together before he made a way for me to be saved. Uh-huh. Calvary was for poor folks. Calvary was for rich folks. Come on, somebody. And despite what the agenda that this world is trying to spew out of hatred, I'm going to tell you this today, that Calvary wasn't just for white folk. And Calvary wasn't just for black folks. And Calvary wasn't just for Hispanic folks. And Calvary wasn't just for Jewish people. The Bible said to the Jew first and then to the Greek. He said it's going to be a revival in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm glad to tell you today that from Anderson to Africa, revival is going on in the earth. Hallelujah. 
We've received word this week that Brother Lang and Brother Wilson were in, in uh, Uganda, Africa. And the, the missionary that they're working with, Brother Spear, that used to be in Norway, they still live full-time in Norway, but they have a home in Uganda, and they're, they're, they're working. And as of right now, there are 13 that have been baptized in Jesus' name that have seen the revelation of the oneness of God. And there's a whole group that's on their way right now that are in a transition mode. They've seen the light and they're wrestling with it. And God is giving us favor right now that entire congregations and the pastors of those congregations are seeing the revelation and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, folks. I don't say this to be ugly at all. You know my heart if you know me. And for those of you that are, are visiting here and you don't know my heart, just know that I'm a pretty nice guy most of the time. So what I'm about to say today is not for the sake of sounding ugly or condescending, but I'm telling you right now that the revival that is upon us, I'm not talking about what's coming. I'm talking about the revival that is upon us right now. The Lord is going to move some pretty Pentecostals out of the way if they're not ready to jump on this thing and go for it. God will reach down and grab a Trinitarian pastor and a Trinitarian church that's hungry to work for God, that's willing to feed the poor, that's willing to reach out and and he'll give them the revelation that we don't cherish. Woo. When I'm preaching to you about this, I'm preaching to me. But I'm going to tell you that our movement, there's a stigma about our movement. That we say we've got the greatest revelation in the world. But once we get it, we keep it for ourselves. It's funny. The way we pick at everybody else. Because we say they grow their church by feeding the poor. And they grow their church by this and by that. And we're going to do it with apostolic power. What that means is we want the Holy Ghost to do for us what we don't want to do. Can you imagine being so overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Ghost. That when you walk into prison. You don't sit there and worry about your shackles and chains. You convert the prisoner. And his whole family. Can you imagine being in prison for testifying? And now that you're in prison, you're going to testify to the very thing that got you put in prison. You know what that means? You're ate up from the inside out and you can't help yourself. You have fallen so in love with Jesus that you would rather die than to close your mouth and tell somebody how good God has been to you. I believe that there are some testimonies in this house this morning that if it had not been for the goodness of our God, you would not be seated here today. My, my, my. So the value of knowing who you are in Christ cannot transpire until you also decide who you are not. And that's where separation begins. That just because somebody hangs around does not make them what you are. I, I, I'm going to walk real careful on how I say this now. You don't get to stay in Jerusalem just because you were here when the exile returned home. There are some men of God, and I say that with all due respect today, that need to get back up in their pulpits 
and get as bold for God as they were for carnality and declare to their churches, I'm sorry that I opened up the gate to some things that I shouldn't have. Now, I'm going to give you this much. If you never open the gate, you don't have to worry about it. But just because you open the gate doesn't mean you can ignore it. We need some men of God that will declare, we're not going to be like everybody else. We are one God apostolic Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled people, and we believe this truth. My, my, my. So, I got, I got to hurry. I got to get where I'm going. Anybody got a pot roast on today in the crock pot waiting on you? I'm your worst enemy on Sundays. So, Ezra was, was empowered by the, the Lord to speak the message to say, we're not going to coexist. It's not going to happen. Can't do that. And we see the repercussions of that later, a generation that's confused. I believe that's the reason why there's been confusion in Pentecost. Is because fathers of the gospel refuse to stand their ground. And it raises a generation of people that just, they don't, they don't know. And, and they're confused. And so then you think they're confused. Wait till you meet their kids. And wait till you meet their grandkids. And it's confusion. But we all know by this book that God is not the author. Somebody preach at me now. He's not the author of confusion. So what Ezra tried to deal with. We find out by the time Nehemiah walks on the scene that the reason they didn't get rid of it is because they liked it. Now listen to what I'm telling you. What they should have expelled, now they have fallen slap in love with it. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody right now. Don't you let the enemy take this word from you right now. I said what they should have hated, now they've fallen in love with it. And what happens when you fall in love with something you know you're not supposed to be in love with? You justify it every day. Instead of the ministry of reconciliation, we function in the ministry of justification. Woo! You look at somebody that's always wanted to drink, but they've always been sheltered in the church. And so they start looking for scripture. And they're like, well, the Bible don't say not to drink. It says to be not drunk wherein is excess. Yeah, but the problem is if you've never been drunk and you just want a social drink, one night you're going to drink just a little bit too much where there's excess. And I can't imagine seeing a Pentecostal who's never been drunk drunk. You watch people that have been to church all their life and they finally get their wings and their freedom, boy. It's hilarious to watch. They don't even, they don't even know how to sin good. They don't. You can walk in and pick them out in a club. They don't, they don't know how to dance. Like, yeah, I do. No, you don't. People, listen. People that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, when they go to a bar and they drink at first, they're so awkward that people look at them. They can't figure out what it is, but they know there's something different about them true like the rest of your life you're marked 
And anybody that's been with the Lord and has gone to the bottle will tell you at some point you're going to get drunk enough that you're going to say, I shouldn't be doing this. I know what I'm preaching to you this morning. There's people in this room today that can tell you they thought they could drink the conviction away, but they got just drunk enough to realize I need God more than I've ever needed Him in my life. But thanks unto God, He reached for you one more time. My great uncle, Bishop Bingham's brother, Leon, we all affectionately called him Uncle Tubby. That was his nickname all my life, Uncle Tubby. And Uncle Leon, when he got to the end of school and he was recruited into the army, he went to France to serve and his life got all messed up and he came home. And... uh, He never could get back on the right page. He was raised in an apostolic home, but his life was just a mess. He'd seen a lot of things in combat, and he came home, and uh, he could drink with the best of them. Uncle Tubby could drink a lot of men under the table. He He was pretty heavy with it. He loved to fight, and he loved to drink. And so the problem is that He wasn't raised to be an alcoholic. He was raised to be apostolic. And they said that, I heard it many, many times, that Uncle Tubby would just get just drunk enough in the bar that he'd start a fight with people by telling them they weren't saved. And that he would stand up in a drunken stupor in a bar room and start pointing people out and telling them, you need to repent of your sins. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. And before it's over, he'd end up knocking them out. That's evangelism, Brother Looper. Hallelujah. You don't like what I'm preaching? Step up, baby. Can you imagine? You could give him the old Benny Hinn. I'm fixing to preach real to you right here, okay? Do you know how you go from being an apostolic preacher's kid to an alcoholic? Your first drink. Y'all, you can be seated. You know how you backslide? The first service that you miss. Because you say it's not important. You live with the motto, there will always be Sunday night. You live with the motto, there will always be next Wednesday night. And before you know it, you've missed Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. So you say, well, I guess I'll be there next Sunday morning. Sunday rolls around. And I know you don't believe the devil knows that it's Sunday, but he does. And of all mornings, you're going to wake up next Sunday morning, and you're not going to feel good. I'll just insert if you've got a fever, been around anyone that's had a fever, talk to anybody that's had a fever, been there, present, been less than six feet away from, stay home. Uh, 
You'll wake up on Sunday morning and you're going to start questioning, should I go get my nose swabbed this morning? Because I don't feel good. It's going to be amazing to you how the enemy works on your faith. He'll use any tool that he can use to make you question whether or not it's the right thing. And that's why Ezra said, don't let him stay here. And Nehemiah said, Ezra wasn't joking. Get it out. So Ezra said, get it out. Nehemiah came in and said, get it out. And then he said, and the way we're going to fix this is we're going to build a wall. And once we've got it out, we're going to keep it out. Oh, my, my, if I could, I'd preach right now. Nehemiah said, look, I'm tired of the talk of just saying we're going to expel this thing. You know what that is? I'm not throwing down on Ezra. I'm just saying in the modern spirit of today with Ezra, it wasn't intentional. He was just trying to do what he knew to do. The spirit of today, it's a weak way of saying I believe it, but I don't want to push it on you. But Nehemiah said, we're going to proclaim it. We're going to expel it, and we're going to build walls around it. And we're going to be certain that every breach is closed. And I read to you this morning that the doors are put into place. And we're going to be certain that when the doors are put into place, that what we've removed from our lives doesn't have access back in. That is repentance. Repentance is not telling the people you expelled, I'm sorry that you've got to go. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry that I got caught with you here. Repentance is saying there's no room for that in my life and I'm building a wall between me and that and I'm not letting it back in. I really want to help somebody this morning. I'm still in my introduction. I'm trying to get to my sermon, so stay with me. So, we come to chapter 7. It took 52 days. That is unbelievable. Now, I don't know that they could have built the wall from the ground up in 52 days. This was 52 days using what was left over. That's still unbelievable. They didn't have to hew out the stone or anything like that. They they just had to put it back. But in 52 days, they did a work. And the whole time they were working for 52 days, there was a contrary message that was coming to Nehemiah. Come down off the wall. See, some of us feel like that once we've started building the wall in our life, we're done. But you're going to wrestle with the voice for the rest of your life that says, please don't do that. Come down off. No, that's not necessary. Why is it? Because it's that very same voice we see in the end of the book of Nehemiah that has moved into the inner sanctum of the house of the Lord in the temple because what the voice that's trying to keep you from building the wall doesn't really just want access to your city. It wants access to the holy places in your life. Oh, man. I'd like to hear you preach on that a little bit, Bishop. Tobiah, the same voice as Sanballat Tobiah, right? Is there anybody here that don't know what I'm talking about? I'll, I'll preach it for you if you need it. But you're going to stay 15 more minutes. Everybody's like, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. <laughs> Sam Ballin and Tobiah are saying, Nehemiah, come down off the wall, come down off the wall, come down off the wall. And we find out in the end of the chapter that not only 
were they not willing to expel Tobiah, but the priesthood allowed Tobiah to move in to the, to the inner room of the temple that had been built. It was the place where the sacred garments and the sacred offerings and the tithe and the meat offering was supposed to be, and Tobiah was in there. Listen to Pastor when I tell you this. This is not about people that just want to get into your territory and be a part of religion. They want the most sacred parts of who you are and what you are. They'll never be satisfied to just have a house in Jerusalem. They want the inner chambers. Oh, I could preach on this right now, even about our nation. We're finding out it's not that people just want to be here. Want to be here and not be here legally. And get what we've got for being invested all these years. And while we sit back and shake our heads and preachers get on Facebook and have political fits. It's hilarious because they're doing the same thing in their churches. They're letting things move in, if I could say it like this, that haven't paid their taxes in the kingdom. And what they don't realize... Is that somebody someday, somewhere, and it's probably their kids and grandkids are going to have to foot the bill. I know people's all kinds of giddy right now because they got $1,400 come to their house. Dear God, I want to send it, I, I want to send it somewhere else, send it back. Because my kids, my grandkids, if the Lord don't come back, going to be paying this debt. And while it bothers me physically, it really bothers me spiritually. And I can't fix what's wrong. I started to say or what's right, but there's not much right. I can't fix what's wrong with our government right now. But I can work on what's wrong and what's trying to be wrong in the house of God. And I can tell you this, that God has had a church in failing governments before. And governments don't matter to God. Woo! I love it when I talk about this because I can tell the spirit of people. You watch them clam up and they're going to blame God. I'm going to tell you what they are. They're carnal people. And I'll say it. I'll stand on the pulpit and say if I need to. If you're willing to buy into this junk that the world's throwing around right now, you need to find you a prayer closet. It's a reproach before the Lord. And if we're not careful... You can't just say you accept it in your society. If you accept it in your society, you'll accept it in your church. Somebody's going to have to stand up and tell the world, we're different. We don't believe that way. We don't do it that way. We are children of God. Well, if that's the way you feel, then you shouldn't pay your taxes. That's not what Jesus said. He said if it's got Caesar's image on it, then give it to Caesar. But here's what you need to know. You don't have Caesar's image on you, and you don't have a Republican image on you, and you don't have a Democrat image on you. You were made in the image of God. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, and give your life to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. That's who's reaching for you. Jesus, forgive me if I sound wrong today to some people. I'm sure there's somebody that's not going to make them happy. It's hilarious to watch people cower down in fear and say there's a good chance if you'll do everything we say that you can celebrate Independence Day. 
I decided in 1776 I was going to have Independence Day. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because that same spirit is creeping into the church right now. And we're letting the enemy dictate what kind of revival we have. I'm going to tell you something. It's none of the devil's business. None of his business. Somebody asked me this week. They said, did you see so-and-so going on? I said, no, I didn't. You haven't seen the news? No, I haven't. And I don't want to. I don't care anything about it. I want to know what's going on right here. Pastor, that's, you're, you're too close-minded. We got to know what's going on. No, I'm going to tell you why. I don't need to know what's going on out there. Because when they get so sick of it that they come running here, I don't want my judgment to be impaired by what's going on out there. When they come here, I want them to know it don't matter how much the world changes, the Word of God's not going to change, and the power of God is not going to change, and the Spirit of God is not going to change. Come on, somebody. I know. God didn't call everybody to be a pastor. But while some people think it's cute to play politics, you ought to put yourself in my shoes as a man of God and ask yourself, what are you going to do when a transsexual comes to you and says, I want to be baptized? Because they got to have the work of repentance. So if they were born in the image of God and they come to you as a different sex and you got to baptize, I'm not going to baptize them. Oh, pastor, that's, that's wrong. Why won't you baptize them? I'm not going to baptize them until they repent. Hello? That's why, I'm say, that's why I'm saying. If you start adjusting with the spirit of the age, then you've got to adjust in the spirit of the church. If you believe in repentance, then I don't, I don't care what their name says now. If they were born Billy, they're going to be judged as Billy. Is this too heavy for apostolics? I follow some pilots online that I like. Come find out the other day, there's a real famous person that decided to do this, an Olympic athlete, you know. It was a real martyr for their belief system. Found out that he's a pilot. He joined up in this pilot group. I'm not connected to him anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. Why, why Pastor? Because... What you're willing to coexist with in your natural life, and you put up with it, then it's going to affect your theology. Pastor, we got to love those people. And I, I do. I do deeply. I love those people. I love them enough to tell them that you were beautiful the way God created you. Come on, somebody needs to say it. If God wanted you to be something else, he would have created you something else. Well, this is, about, this is just about their sexual preference. I hope to God not because now we got people identifying as cats and dogs. What are you going to do when a dog wants to marry your daughter? I saw this girl the other day that loved horses so much. She wanted to learn how to run like them. I don't know if you've seen that online. It's crazy. She runs on all fours. Just like a horse. And goes out in her front yard barefoot and jumps over barrels and stuff. It took me about 30 seconds to just get the heebie-jeebies. 
Listen to what I'm telling you. It's the spirit of the age trying to pervert our minds. And if we'll accept it in the world, then he's already got his first step in. Because it often happens by way. Listen to pastor. Don't be distracted. It happens by compassion. If they can convict you to have compassion about it, then compassion will replace conviction. Well, I just think we ought to have compassion on people. I think there's a difference in compassion and mercy. And I think people need to know that whenever we start changing what what we were created as, we are not making a decision about our sexuality. We are questioning the wisdom of God. Because the Bible said that God created man in his image. And he created he, them male and female. And we're going to have to wake up as a church and realize that we were never called to go along and get along to just enjoy fellowship with one another. Something's got to change in our hearts that we realize you can love people without having compassion on their lifestyle. What are you preaching, Pastor? Okay, I'm glad you asked. I made it through my introduction. Nehemiah said, we got the doors in place. Got it all fixed up. He said, so I'm going to get Hananiah. And then I'm going to get Hananiah. And he said, I'm going to put them at the gate. And he said, I'm going to get watchmen that are going to come. And he said, we're going to put bars across the gate. Brother Stephen, will you come help me this morning? Brother Shiloh, if you come help me, y'all just stand right here and act like this is a gate. You get on one side and you get on the other and look at these pretty people. I want you to see the faces of some of these folks I've been preaching to. They look good, don't they? Sometimes they look like I've been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> now, both of these names come from the same root, the same word in the Hebrew. And the word simply means favor. And so when Nehemiah comes to the finished work. Oh man, I was so bad I could preach that. He comes to the finished work of the door. And he says, I'm going to put the favor of God at the door. I'm going to put Hananiah and Hananiah at the door. I know you don't think so, but you're good enough looking to be favor. You got favor. A little bit, just a little bit of favor, that's all. Just a little bit. So when people come by the gate, they see the favor of the Lord. But if they want to come through the gate, you can't just walk by because of favor and come in. Brother Wendell, this is where we mess up favor preaching. Because favor don't mean I get to do what I want to do. Favor is posted at the gate and says this is your warning. That if you try to pass through favor. You're going to be dealt with in another measure. 
And so Nehemiah says to them, he said, I want favor to stand at the gate. And on the other side of the gate, I'm not satisfied with the Lord just doing his part out here. We're going to do our part in here. And I want rods put across the gate. Because I'm not just going to leave it to the Lord to protect this city. I'm preaching pretty good right now, Bishop. So I got favor on the outside. And I got bars on the inside. But there's a window by the gate. That gives me vision to see. That should someone approach favor. And desire to come in. Then favor can call to the watchman. And the watchman can say, what of the night? And favor can say, there's somebody that's approaching the gate. And favor speaks to us and lets us know when things are approaching the gate. But it's not up to favor to make the judgment call. So Nehemiah said, I want some watchmen that are invested in the city. That will stand behind favor and will look through the window of the door and whenever somebody comes knocking in the darkness of the night he said don't you open the gate until the sun is hot what's that mean the sun being hot is another way of saying the middle of the day mid noon the sun's hottest at the highest point of the day he said don't you make any decisions while there's still fog on the ground don't you make any decisions while there's still darkness of night that's lingering around he said if you're going to make a judgment call about what comes into this city he said you let favor answer the door and you just tell them through the window we're not opening the gate during this season we're going to wait until we can see who you are and who you represent before we let you in I'm going to preach to some people right now that are in a dark season of your life and the fog hasn't lifted off of your life right now and you're at the point of making some decisions that are not the right decisions because you can't see through the, through the darkness of the night and the fog of the morning and the Holy Ghost sent me here just so you know he started working on me about 3.30 this morning and he sent me here to tell you today this is not a good time for you to be making permanent decisions while you can't see through the fog Some of you are in the delusion that you're right in the will of God, but when you look through the favor of God, you can't see enough to tell what it is that's knocking on your door. And the Holy Ghost sent this preacher to tell you today that until you can make the face out and you know what language they speak and you know who they are, you keep the gate closed in your life. All you got to do is make one decision. Mm, man, I wish I had time to preach this. It's already 12 o'clock. All you got to do is make one decision. Blame it on favor if you want to. But favor's not lifting the bar off the door. When you lift the bar off the door and you let it walk in, I want to tell you that it's not going to take long before that voice starts working its way into being a watchman. And then in the middle of the night, while the watchmen are all asleep, there's going to be a fake watchman at the door. 
That favor can't stop what's coming through the gate if the watchman hasn't made up their mind. We're going to keep the gate closed. And you're going to get us an unfamiliar spirit that's answering the door of your life and going to start letting things in in the night. And before you know it, Tobias is going to be in the inner chamber of the holy place in the house of God. I'm telling you today that until the sun is hot and you can see clearly, you've got to keep the door closed in your life. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning, wait for the sun. some people right now I had, a, I, I had a man of God tell me the other day he said he said I feel like COVID has skewed our vision in this hour and it may have for some but I'm going to tell you today I respectfully and I mean that with all due respect I respectfully disagree that COVID has skewed our vision my vision I can't speak for anybody else but my wife and I and Bishop in this, this church COVID has not skewed my vision It's let me see clearly what we're working with. Because I'm going to tell you there's something special on this church, Brother King, that doesn't rest on every church. I've got pastors today that are still begging people to come back. That didn't happen here. It didn't skew my, I'm I'm not messed up. I know what we're working with. I know that the enemy tried to use it as a tool. And if you think because the cases are going down that that spirit has stopped working, that's a lie too. Because it's going to keep working until people are frustrated. And before you know it, they're going to start running favor off and saying, we don't even want favor at the door anymore because it might scare people away. Don't sit down if you need to. I know you're old. You're getting tired. You getting old, Shiloh? You don't think so? Huh? Well, you're the only guy that know. I want to tell you something, church. There have been decisions made in the church right now. Not, I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about in the church age right now, in the church world. They've been made in darkness. And they've been having conversations in the darkness that the Holy Ghost said, don't even entertain them until the sun comes up. I'm going to tell you, folks, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here, but I want you to listen to me. If you have ever exercised discernment in your life, you need it right now. I have respect for people. I do. I have great, great respect for people, but I have people right now. In the medical community that are coming to me saying be very very careful about what you're seeing doctors put out be very careful exercise judgment be led by the Holy Ghost because I'm gonna tell you something I don't want the enemy coming into your mind while it's dark and convincing you of things that are not true you need to let the Holy Ghost run in your life I refuse to live my life afraid of something that God did not ordain. If God is big enough to bring us to it, then God is big enough to bring us through it. And I'm speaking, Bishop, right now in the name of Jesus, that God is going to release wisdom in this church. 
I can't talk to anybody else. But I'm speaking to this church right now and I'm telling you that God is going to release wisdom, supernatural wisdom in this church. That decisions are not going to be made in the dark. Wait for the sun. I haven't been real vocal. I've tried to be very careful how I deal with things because there's people measuring every word I say. You can count on And I'm not just talking about watchers. I'm talking about people sitting in here today. Their persnickative spirit's been sitting back measuring every word I've said. But I'm telling you right now, I trust the Holy Ghost over any man. And if you've got a check in your spirit, you better obey the Holy Ghost. If you've got a check in your spirit, you obey God. I'm not going to let a spirit of fear handicap the 21st century church and bind us up and lock us up. If the Antichrist is going to be revealed, Brother Todd, he's going to have to realize he's going to contend with the church because we're not going to quit just because of the spirit of Antichrist. I hope to God that the Lord gets us out of here before the man of sin is revealed. But may it be said publicly today, out of our mouth, if the Antichrist comes, let him come. But he's going to contend with a church that refuses to sit down. I refuse. I refuse to let the enemy blind the eyes of this church. We're going to wait till the sun gets hot before we start inviting things in here. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The spirit of deception will work in any way that it can. It doesn't just have to work in Bible doctrine. Why are you preaching this on a Sunday morning? Because I'm telling you there's some people in here right now that are, you're, you're, you're in decision making mode. But you don't have a clear perspective. And the Holy Ghost sent me on this Sunday morning right now. If I've ever known it, I know I'm in it right now. The Holy Ghost sent me here on this Sunday morning to tell somebody, you better let the sun come up before you walk down that pathway. I'm telling you, you're one decision away. This is not fear monger. I'm telling you what I know in the Holy Ghost. I sat on my sofa this morning, finally got up. Went in there and sat down about 5.20, 5.30 this morning. I sat down and started talking with the Lord and I began to see faces. If you needed me to, I'd come right now and put my finger on your nose. But I'm telling you, you ought to have enough discernment in the Holy Ghost to know today that it's not time for you to make decisions about things that you can't see clearly. If you've got a hesitancy in your spirit and the Holy Ghost, you better stand still and know that he's God. Every time I start to make that call, Pastor, every time I start to make that move, I feel this check, then you better stand still. It just seems like the right thing to do. You don't know that it's the right thing to do if you can't see it. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. There is such a deep prophetic anointing in here right now. Pastor, you're, you're, you're preaching awful bold on a Sunday morning because I... I don't get to preach tonight. And I, I couldn't go to bed tonight with this in my spirit. You hear me? This one restless night this weekend was enough for me. I'm telling somebody in this house today that God sent me here this morning 
to this platform to tell somebody you better look one more time. And if you can't see and the sun hasn't revealed it yet, the Holy Ghost sent me here today to tell you, wait for the sun. Pastor, if I don't if I don't do it now, 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 it's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of fear trying to make you believe that you're not you're not gonna be able to make another move later. Listen, if it's not the will of God, you don't want it anyway. And God will present something better to you on the other side of your obedience. It may pay less than you want, but if it's the will of God, you'd rather make less and be in the will of God than you would to make more than you've ever made and be out of the will of God. You better wait on the sun. Let's raise our hands all over this place. The scripture tells us that weeping endures for the night. But there's something about the sun coming up that makes a difference in the atmosphere. Joy comes in the morning. I'm going to be as real as I've ever been with you. These altars are open, but I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to tell you something as your pastor today. If I made decisions for this church in dark seasons when I couldn't see... I wouldn't still be standing here today. If I made decisions for my family while my wife and I were fussing, my family wouldn't be together. Am I making any sense? Is this too real for Sunday? When I'm mad at my wife, and yes, that happens. That's a horrible time for me to say I don't love her anymore. I'm walking out. Because in just a little while, there's going to be a kiss. And you're going to feel different when the sun comes up on your marriage. Don't walk out while it's dark. My God, my God. Some of you are making some salvific choices right now that are directly related to the salvation of your soul. And you cannot even see the next step because the sun hasn't come up. I'm not talking about walking by faith. I'm talking about that thing the Holy Ghost keeps checking you on. It keeps checking you and pulling you back, saying, wait on me. I feel like telling somebody in the Holy Ghost today that it may feel like you're getting more money than you've ever got when you get these checks. I'm going to tell you something in the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm being sincere as I've ever been. Don't invest in anything that you can't see the sun shining on. There's a movement right now that's trying to bring confusion to the finances of people. 
And I'm being honest with you when I tell you that the reason why this church was sustained is because whether it was out of fear or whatever, some people, when the whole church thing got shut down, you kept on giving faithfully to God. And that's, that's why you've been sustained. But the enemy wants us to start taking our finances and being afraid and holding on to it and investing in other things where we feel like we can get a quick return out of it. And I, I guess I'm going to go on record and say this because there's people watching. But I'm going to tell you something. If God doesn't give us some kind of a miracle, I'm not prophesying this. I'm just telling you with trends what I believe. There's getting ready to be an economic crash. I hadn't watched any videos telling me this. I'm just telling you what I know in prayer. There's getting ready to be a crash. And by crash, I don't know how bad that means. But I'm just telling you, the enemy is going to try his best to scare the people of God. The reason why we raised over $20,000 more than we needed for those missionaries the other night is because the church of the living God was letting the enemy know we are not afraid. We're not. We're not afraid. And when my dollar, if my dollar, if my dollar is only worth 75 cents, 50 cents, so be it. But I'm still going to walk in obedience to the Lord. And I'm going to be very careful where I put my money and invest it. I'm just telling you, some of you have tried to invest in some things the last few days. Don't ask me how I know this. I'm just telling you, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Some of you have tried to invest in some things. And when you went to put it into that stock or whatever, you felt the Holy Ghost check. And you were like, that feels kind of weird. Wait till the sun comes up. Because I'm not nearly as concerned about you making your first million as I am you being saved. I want us to raise our hands. Father, if I have ever, ever felt Holy Ghost clarity, I feel it today. You are speaking right now. Help us to guard ourselves, Lord, to guard our spirits, to guard our minds, to keep the gate, Lord, locked until the sun comes up. I pray today, God, for our government. I pray, Lord, for our president. I pray, God, for our vice president. I pray for congressmen and senators. I pray today, God, for our nation. I pray today, God, for our markets. And I pray that your will would be accomplished. If America cannot have revival with a high stock market, then crash it. God, if we can't have revival and be saved with change in our hands, then take whatever you've got to take and give us revival before the coming of the Lord. I pray that we would be wise until the sun comes up. If you're in this house today and you've been weighing some decisions in your heart, you know that I've been preaching to you today. There's no shame in this place at all with nobody looking around right now. I just want you to raise your hands up in the air and say, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you today, Lord, that you thought enough of me to stop right now and to speak to my heart.
somebody close to you this morning. Stay put till the sun comes up. I believe I heard from the Lord today, church. The Holy Ghost sent me here to reach for somebody. I know it's late. I usually don't preach this late. But I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost today. And I'm telling you, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How many of you will receive the word with an amen today? Praise God. I love you tonight. We're going to be here. Listen, please. Please, please be here tonight. I need you to be here. We have brother and sister Kobe here with us from Bulgaria. I don't want them to come tonight and give a, a, a mission presentation to 75 people. Let's be in the house of the Lord together. Pray for their work in Bulgaria that God would touch them. If you would, please just do your very best to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We'll be in the prayer room at 5.30. We're going to have great church. The choir's going to be singing. You don't want to miss it. I love you today. Be dismissed, and we'll see you tonight in Jesus' name.